in one, and we are live for a new episode of The Electric Podcast. I am Fred Lambert, your host, and as usual, I'm joined by Seth Wintraub. How's it going today, Seth? I'm good. All right. Uh, we have a pretty uh, light show this week because uh, not that much news in the EV world for a change. It was a pretty slow news week. Um, so that's a good occasion for if you guys have any question for us or any specific topic you want us to discuss, you can put it in the comment section right now. And when I get to them on the second half of the show, uh, if you can put question in all cap, that will help us get to them. Uh, so feel free to uh, ask us anything and we, uh, we're going to get to it at some point. But uh, let's start with uh, this was an interesting um, news this week that uh, I found through um, the Jeff Don team back in Halifax, the Tesla Advanced Battery Research Group, uh, led by Don. Though Don is uh, kind of, uh, he's not retiring, I think, but he's just like phasing out his involvement uh, uh, in, uh, in this group. And he's uh, um, mentoring two new leaders that are, are taking over right now. And uh, since then, uh, we, we get our first uh, significant research paper uh, released by them. And uh, it's an interesting one within the context of what uh, Elon Musk has been saying lately about, uh, of course, diversifying the, the chemistries of the, of the battery cell that Tesla is uh, using in order to uh, limit the bottlenecks uh, for specific materials. And, uh, and if, it, if it works within the specification that Tesla requires for, for their vehicles, they're just going to use it. Uh, so of course, LFP is the is the one that people think about in in this case. The standard range vehicles have been transferring uh, rapidly to to uh, iron phosphate chemistry, also known as LFP. But this paper specifically uh, compares a new um, chemistry that is using uh, nickel base and manganese, whose uh, which is a, a material that Elon has been talking about as Tesla working on lately for some kind of a, a third. Uh, or a second alternative to the nickel-rich um, chemistries uh, in the cathode. And what's uh, what's interesting in this one, in, in this paper too, which uh, uh, is that the paper is called well, they have the specific chemistry of the uh, that they're using as a superior alternative to LiPo for long-lived low-voltage Li-ion cells. So they are specifically. Um, we're specifically comparing that chemistry to LFP as an alternative to LFP. Uh, and because of that, they're using a lower voltage because LFP is generally used at a lower voltage in order to achieve the longer last span that it's it's known for. Though you, it comes with that a lower energy density, of course. So in this paper, they basically describe that using that chemistry of a, a nickel and manganese based uh, with graphite, like um, cell, also the uh, this the one of the different thing about it is to the uh, use a different electrolyte. Is it uh, uh, what's specific about the electro- uh, a lithium salt based electrolyte that uh, with, with the combination of those things, if they use it at the same voltage as the LFP cell, they end up having still a greater energy density. And also get the same benefits of the LFP-like long-lasting cells. They even reference that based on their test over the, the number of cycles that they achieve, they see it lasting up to 100 years, which is, uh, of course, like it's... Um, uh, that's hard to really quantify because you don't necessarily look at the battery in the term of the time it lasts, but more in the number of cycles normally that lasts. But... Here, looking at it in a use case, a normal use case 
for an uh, electric vehicle or a stationary battery pack, it will last up to 100 years. Also, it's hard to disprove because everybody will be dead at that point. Yeah. Like, you come back to me like, you said this will last 100 years. It lasts 99 years. What are you talking about? Um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe some, some technology on that front is going to improve too. And now you're right. going to be accountable for, <laughs> for your prediction that you make 100 years ahead. Uh, but no, this is encouraging stuff. And uh, this is specifically uh, important within the context of Elon lately talking about manganese-based chemistry that Tesla would use. So I think this might be it. Uh, and and the, the Dawn Lab really has been uh, the, one of their big expertise is developing equipment and, and, and processes to monitor battery cells and, and to be able to test them and, and replicate high volume, uh, high numbers of cycles and, and, and get great feedback on specific chemistry. They basically like they just like and send them things like, hey, we've heard of this, is this is good. And then they, they put it to the test, really. Uh, so this sounds like one of those papers where Tesla was like, we're interested in this specific chemistry. These guys put it to the test and they're like, this is actually better than LFP cells, uh, which is interesting. Now, uh, whether we see that in a commercial product anytime soon, that's uh, something else. Uh, normally, we're, we're talking about uh, at least a few years to get there, though Tesla is known to work extremely fast. And I remember, I think, within within a year or two of the of Tesla um, partnering with uh, Don's lab, uh, I think Don was saying that oh, he's, uh, yeah, he's already seeing Tesla implement some of the things that they came up with. So you never know. They work fast there. Um, all right. Uh, this week uh, on the Tesla news side, a uh, news side of things, uh, one of the biggest uh, thing was the the software update that came out, uh, the uh, 16.0.2. Uh, it came with a few things that not available for for everyone. But what what is available for everyone is, uh, well, first of all, media player accounts like Spotify are now linked to your driver's profile, uh, which means that. Um, you and your wife set are driving the same car, but your wife doesn't have the same musical taste as you have, and she has her own Spotify account. Well, she can if she is if she choose her driver profile, she can then go to Spotify, log out of your account, log into your account, and then the car will remember that. And then when you choose your driver's profile, it won't just get your driving sitting, your seat sitting, and all that. It will also get your media profile sitting into account, uh, and vice versa. This is the biggest update of the year. Just for that alone, like that's going to totally change our lives because it's not just music, but like we have different podcast tastes. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm obviously listening to electric podcast over and over again, and she's got a whole bunch of different ones. So I think for me in my life, I think this is one of the biggest updates of the year. Yeah, it, it seems just... silly, but it's important. <laughs> let's let, let's wait until the, the second one i think you're gonna like too uh, so this uh arguably bigger update on le- unless you're set is uh the the, the fact well we, we talked about it before though because there was sign that uh, this was put in the background of things but it wasn't in the release note uh but now it's it's has been made official is that tesla is uh has significantly improved the energy prediction on on a specific route uh which is obviously a, a big deal so uh, most uh, EV drivers know that already, but if you're if you're not a, a daily EV driver and you have you you think that range anxiety is going to be a concern for you to go electric, uh, you 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 think that just oh, I need as much range as possible on a single charge, and I need uh, fast charging. You think those are the two main solution to range anxiety, which is which is pr- pr- pretty fair. Well, that and I would I would say also uh, readily available fast charging 
everywhere. That's obviously a, a big deal. But I would argue that the single greatest thing to curb range anxiety, which range anxiety really means you're in the car and you think you're going to not get to your destination because you're gonna um, you're not going to have enough range. Um, then the best way to curb that is to have an accurate range prediction within your navigation system. When you enter where you're going to go, it knows how many miles it is, obviously, but it doesn't have a perfect idea of what's going to be your efficiency to get there, how much energy you're going to spend to get there for plenty of reason, some reason or your own fault. If you're a maniac and you drive very fast and if you... Um, then then there's also the temperature outside, then there's the wind condition, then there's the road conditions, then there's the actual traffic. There's, there's so many things that are, can affect uh, the efficiency of a trip and the amount of energy you know spend. So even, even if you get in your car and your car says you have uh, 200 kilometers left on it, 150 miles or whatever, um, you and then your destination is 120 miles. 150 kilometers something like that then you're like all right i have plenty to get there but then as you start driving and then you're you're like 30 40 minutes in your trip you see that the range goes down faster than uh it's supposed to then the actual mileage that you're driving you start to worry about it that's where ring anxiety uh kicks in so if you can predict closer to what's the actual range when you leave uh, versus what you have to 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 actually drive this this makes a big difference so with this update this week tesla has uh improved its um energy prediction for your route by incorporating forecasted crosswinds headwind humidity and ambient temperature when using online navigation obviously when using online na- navigation because then it knows where where you're going and and through which area you're going through and then it can actually use some the best available forecasted crosswind data, headwind data, humidity, ambient temperature, and apply that to the energy efficiency that you, you're trying to achieve and then tell you a better idea of what your range is going to be. So this, this, is, this is obviously quite, quite massive in my opinion. And obviously, when I say quite massive, in the, in the grand scheme of things, you think, all right, this, is, this represents maybe 2 3 maybe 4% max of your uh, efficiency in, in the trip, like it, it would affect just by that much. But just that can make a big difference if, because the range anxiety normally kicks in when you're getting close to, to to the overall range that you have on your car. So that if a 4% difference can make all the difference. Yeah. Everyone everyone who's been, uh, was arriving at the charging station with less than 10 miles of range knows, knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's hard to kind of picture how much miles you can gain or lose based on wind and humidity. Temperature, we know, is a pretty big Mm -hmm. factor. Um, But the more accuracy, the better, obviously. Like, as you said, like the range anxiety is based on uncertainty, and that's this is kind of dialing it in a little bit more. Mm Mm-hmm. There was uh, one other update, uh, one other new feature within that update, though it's not a Applying to every car out there. Um, I know I've received the update. I didn't get that in the car. So maybe it's for more recent um, vehicles. Minus 2008 and all three. 2008, 2018. So this is... They call it blending the brakes when you have limited uh, regenerative braking. So 
again, that's another thing. If you're uh, familiar with AV driving, you know that if your battery pack is full or if the temperature outside is low, uh, you can uh, end up having limited regenerative driving. Uh, of course, if your battery pack is full, it's like there's, there's no energy you can take back. So the, the there's no point of regenerative driving, uh, braking, I should say. And uh, if the temperature is low, uh, the, the drivetrain needs to warm up and the battery needs to warm up before it can actually take in the energy from the regenerative braking. So th these are the two concerns. Uh, it's not that big of a deal. Like you start driving and within, I don't know, for me, even in the cold of Quebec, you know, I don't think more than five or 10 minutes and then you're, you're back to normal. Uh, and also on the top end, being 100% charge, you're, you're not that often 100% charge. Most people will keep their backs back at 80 or uh, 90%. So unless you you know you're going on a long trip and you want to be charged up, uh, then that's going to be a problem. But again, as you start driving, your battery pack goes down and then it can use that regenerative braking, the new energy coming back. So it comes back within a few minutes. It's not that big of a deal. However... Now that we are at a point where there's a lot of people like myself, like probably yourself too, mm -hmm. where you are completely used to electric driving, completely used to relative braking, well, you, you're kind of conditioned to when you lift up the, 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 the your foot of the accelerator pedal, uh, the car slows down a lot faster than it would if you were just in a regular automatic gas-powered uh, vehicle. Um, so... If those moments where you have limited regenerative braking are far and few in between, then it can create some uh, uh, some discomfort or even some potentially dangerous situation. If you're expecting, even though the, the car warns you, like it's pretty clear, like hey, you're gonna have uh, limited regenerative braking right now for whatever reason. So now, what Tesla is bringing as a solution to that is blending automatically. The the real the regular brake the the brake pads friction brakes with the regenerative braking being limited. So if if it's limited, when you let let go of the accelerator pedal, it will automatically apply the brake to try to imitate regenerative braking. Which again, on itself, sounds kind of dumb because, like, all right, you're, you're fake, you're applying the brakes that that you normally would apply with the brake pedal, even if if you're not pressing the brake pedal and you're not on autopilot or anything. Like, it makes no sense. But again, this is within the context of like if you're too used to regenerative braking, which is <laughs> like a few years ago, it was the contrary. We were trying to get people to get used to regenerative braking. But now you have people that have been driving electric nonstop for the last five, six years, even more than that in some cases, like people get used to it. And it is a better way of, of driving. There's no, there's no doubt about that if you get used to it. I mean, if people remember, Tesla used to give you a choice of strength regenerative braking between like standard or uh, low regenerative braking and Tesla even removed the low regenerative braking because they're like, all right, let's, let's stop babying, babying you. Like this is how you, you should drive the car. Let's just drive it like that. So this is another show that change. However, it is optional. So if you, if you don't uh, want it, you can, uh, actually, I think you have to go enable it when you get the update. Yeah. To enable tap controls, pedal and steering, apply brakes when regenerative braking is limited. So yeah, I think by default it's not on. So you have to go turn it on. So if something that you're into, it's not a feature in, in some car. Again, I don't know. Like it looks like it's only applied to model three, model one right now. I, I don't know what's the cutoff or anything like that. I haven't have many details on that just yet.
All right, all right. This is an interesting one that has big implication in the long term. If, uh, by, uh, according to Elon's comment after uh, the story came out, uh, this is this is a, a filing with ERCOT, the 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 body that oversees electric utilities in uh, in Texas. Tesla has filed for uh, a policy change with them that that would enable uh, the uh, pe- anyone that has behind the meter energy generation and, and storage. So mainly we're talking about many solar and battery packs like the Powerwall. Uh, allow the electric utility to bid with that capacity behind the meter, which would basically enable anyone that has solar or batteries or a boat at their home in Texas to participate in uh, the electricity market with the, the bid on any exchange. So this 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 is a basically create like an, an alternative to like the regular like net metering, which is not completely, um, it's not standard in Texas. Like the, Texas has a very notoriously deregulated energy market and it's up basically to any uh, company to apply any form of net metering that they, they want or don't want. <laughs> so, as you can imagine, it's not it's not ideal. But the, the penetration rate of solar in Texas is not bad. So, so the, the, some electric utilities still makes plenty of sense. Well, just sometimes purely based on how much they charge for the electricity you want to produce your own. Uh, but this will, would greatly improve really the the, the value of uh, the the value of these in energy system at the residential level in the uh, in Texas and. On the greater side of thing, which I think maybe Elon was alluded to when he said that this is going to be a big deal long term, is that it basically enable if it goes through again, it would enable Tesla to create some kind of virtual power plant like they did in California, where they would uh, bank up together. Because of course, Tesla has applied to be uh, basically an, an electric utility in Texas last year. So this would would be how they would become an electric utility, where they would create a virtual power plan that people can opt in, uh, let the uh, system know like how much are they, they ready to put in the market. And Tesla then can use the, its auto bidder system to bid on capacity that uh, they can sell to the electric utilities through that system. So this this is a big deal. Unlike California, which Tesla, when Tesla started their virtual power plan there, they said it was basically like a, a, non- for, a non-profit. It was just to help the system and people that were onboarded into the virtual apartment didn't get any money back. I think this would be more of a, uh, I mean, Texas, after all, it's like a capital of capitalists in the, in the U S. So it would make sense here that uh, Tesla would, would, would launch a, a system like that there. And, um, and yeah, also Tesla has been deploying a lot of solar in Texas, um, especially through their deal with the, um, they, they have this big community that they're building in Austin, Texas. Tesla has historically more focused its uh, solar effort on uh, retrofitting homes with um, solar panels or uh, more recently with their solar roof. But now they're going after the, the new home market, which is a new market for Tesla. Well, not completely new, but uh, the effort has uh, increased lately. And uh, they have this big project in, in Austin. Thousands of homes, uh, new homes are being built. And uh, Tesla is installing uh, solar roofs and um, power walls on them. So this would add a lot more uh, capacity to have 
more value unlocked of if that change comes true. Uh, I pulled some comments from um, Arushi Sharma Frank, who's the Tesla's uh, U.S. energy market policy lead, who said that uh, everyone said that to make that change will take up to four to six years, but uh, she believes strongly that Tesla can do it this year. So this is the timeline. Of course, Tesla is sometimes known for having <laughs> ambitious timelines. So mm-hmm. I don't know, but I wish her good luck. Because I think this is this would be indeed a good change. All right, still on Tesla, we have Thailand. So it's been a while since Tesla uh, expanded to a new market. Uh, I cannot even remember on top of my head right now. Probably some kind of like Central European or even Eastern European. Well, market. not in not India because they not they weren't well, there. That might be it. That might be why they're entering Thailand right now because they basically gave up on on India uh, earlier this month. So now they, they turn their attention to Thailand, uh, which already has some some Tesla vehicle there in Thailand because you uh, uh, the local police actually bought a, a nice little fleet of uh, Model Threes to to use. So and other people too have done the same. And actually, that's that's one of the way that Tesla. Um, evaluate if it's worth getting into a new market where do you see if enough people have gone into the trouble of importing the vehicle themselves, which is, it's not easy. And it's also a big commitment because you, you do that and Tesla doesn't have any service center or supercharger in the, in, in the country. It's not easy to, uh, to service them and to use them on a daily basis. Well, on a daily basis, you can definitely have a home charger pretty easy. It's not, that's not that big of a deal, but, uh, the supercharging is obviously one of the biggest assets that Tesla has, enabling long, long distance travel. So if you don't have that in your country, it's like mm, it's a bigger decision to buy a Tesla. But a bunch of people have done it, and now it looks like Tesla is actually preparing to enter the country because they have filed to register their products and uh, not just their vehicles. Too apparently they are looking to sell solar and um, a stationary battery pack in the country. So that's uh, good news. It's the Tesla has sold stationary battery pack everywhere around the world, but the solar, uh, they, that's been limited to the U.S. for the most part. Uh, I've, uh, since, we heard, since I've heard that, I've taken a quick look at the uh, Thai auto market to see how significant it is. Because obviously India, I think, is the biggest auto market in the world right now that Tesla is not in, I would assume. Uh, Thai still has the same thing, auto market. The uh, Over 750,000 uh, cars were sold last year. And uh, they, they expect that to ramp up between 800,000 900,000 this year. Uh, so this is a growing market. Obviously, I don't think that a significant portion of that are more premium vehicles. They probably, uh, most of them are uh, on the lower end of the market. But I wouldn't be surprised if there's a decent market for Tesla to sell, I don't know, 10,000 uh, 10, car a year, maybe something like that there. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be too surprised. There's also a big... Uh, community of expats there so a lot of people that would maybe are used to uh, teslas in, in their home countries and they would uh, want to have them too in thailand that, that alone is a market there uh, but then i looked also at the plant service centers and uh, supercharger station and still nothing in thailand is uh, on the tesla map so uh, we, we're gonna have to wait for that until we have a better idea of the expansion because uh Tesla generally never launch in a country until it has at least one service center and uh, normally a few superchargers too. But yeah, let's uh, 
keep an eye on, on Tesla entering Thailand in the near future. All right, we have a few more news items to discuss, and then we're going to jump into the comment section. I've seen already a few comments, but uh, we're going to have plenty of time for more. So if you guys have any questions, don't hesitate. If you any specific subjects you want us to to check out, we are we're going to have plenty of time to do it. Because like I said, it was a pretty slow news week this week. But that was definitely one of the biggest news of the week. Ford started customer deliveries of the F-150 Lightning electric pickup truck. So we reported last month, um, I think I think to the day, yeah, to the day, um, Ford started production of the F-150 Lightning. Uh, but the deliveries, uh, we weren't sure when deliveries were going to happen. They said in the coming weeks or so. Now it's officially started. Of course, there's two things. There's the retail customer deliveries. Like this is the, the start, but we, we know also that Ford has been delivering them to uh, fleet customers because, the, of, of course, there's uh, apparently a lot of orders that are going for commercial use rather than uh, uh, regular uh, customer, retail customer use. But this one here, the uh, he didn't disclose his name, but uh, was uh, the Richardson, uh, Richardson Ford dealership in Michigan. He got a nice platinum trim lightning uh he did share his timeline it was uh reserved on may 20th last year so it took him about a year to get it from reservation not too bad uh transferred it to an order this year january 7th it was built on april 18th which is actually before ford announced the start of production of the f-150 so uh, i remember you saying said that uh when ford announced the start of production uh, they they said that something about like we already produce more than than Rivian as soon as they started production. That's probably it. They they've been accumulating them for for a little while, and yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if if uh, Ford already has a few thousands of them uh, ready to deliver and starting now, basically. But this is obviously a big deal because this is the the F one fifty is the best selling passenger vehicle in the U S. And now we officially have an electric all electric version of it being delivered to customers right now. Um, so they're going to start being on the road. The only thing is, is like on the demand side of things, like it's already sold out for the next two years, basically. So it's not... Only three years. They've, they've mm-hmm. got over 200,000 orders and they stopped taking orders. Mm-hmm. And Reservation, the, reservation. Right? That's right. Yeah. But like it's it seems like all but certain that they're going to sell out of every car they can make for at least three years. Yeah, because right now what we hear is uh, they're aiming for production of around 40000 this year and a quick ramp up to 150000 next year, which is a lot more significant. Uh, so the it, it is frustrating that right, like there's such a boom right now for electric vehicle demand and, and there's just not the capacity for it. But it, the the way it's going, and thanks to the F one fifty for that, I think with the ramp up being significantly like it's pretty fast, relatively fast. Um, there's going to be a lot of them on the road relatively quickly, and that will also create a lot of demand. I think. And here's the thing: it's going to help any pickup truck right now that that can be delivered. It's going to help them because. We we know that the word of mouth thing, like this guy, I don't know what his name is, but he goes to uh, his neighborhood and he arrives with his brand new F-150 Lightning. What happens? All his neighbors look at it like, oh, that's a nice truck. Oh, it's all electric. I, I just paid 150 bucks to uh, to fill my truck. <laughs> yeah, fill up the tank. Yeah. Yeah. Like these things, they, they, it goes fast. So whatever how strong the man is right now for a typical truck, 
by the, this time next year, it's going to be through the roof yeah. because there's going to be a lot more of them on the road. Uh, Rivian, of course, also has some of them right now. And and the product itself has been very well reviewed. Everyone loves it. Uh, so that helps too. But of course, I, I do think that by this time next year, Ford is going to have probably three or four, maybe five times more uh, electric pickup truck on the road than, than Rivian. Um, but that's the thing. So everyone else that can bring pickup trucks on the road uh, by then, if people, even if like the F-150 is the one that has the most demand for it, People are going to be frustrated that the fact that they cannot get one within a year, two years at that point, I don't know. And uh, they're going to turn to something else too. So this is this is going to go fast. And this is one of my point about like um, most most people in the industry thinks that we're crazy to think that by 2025, most people, like by most people, I mean like uh, almost all new car buyers, new vehicle buyers are going to want to have an electric vehicle. That's, they, they see that closer to 2030, 2035 for some. Um, but the way this is spreading and how fast it is spreading and just when you account how big it is a decision when you buy a new vehicle, this is this is a done deal at this point, the way I see it. Yep. Done <clears throat> and, you know, as we said, like the electric cars aren't just cheaper to, you know, you don't have to fill the tank, but they're also like crazy fast. They've got huge frunks that the other, you know, ICE cars don't have. Like they're just better vehicles all around. Yeah, and and the more people start to think about that, about the, the savings too. Like I've seen, I've seen a Model S, uh, Model S Plaid, okay? <laughs> which no one buys a Model S Plaid for the gas savings. Obviously, it's a I don't, I don't know, like hundred. $30,000 car and yeah. not something like that. But uh, the, the, the the store that was advertise, advertising it was like saying like it, this is the, the, the weekly payment on it. Uh, but then minus this uh, savings, the, these, the gas saving on, on it, of course, you can be a bit liberal with the uh, amount of gas saving that you put depending on what, what's the exchange car like the, and, and everything. But you uh, you save this amount per week, which is the equivalent of buying this car, for example, like whatever, like let's say a, a BMW 7 Series, okay? So you have the equivalent of, of this car, but you have this much more value out of it, and you uh, you, you get, I mean, the Model S Plaid is basically a supercar, let's be honest, at 2.1 2. 2. seconds, 0 to 60. 1.99, according yeah. to Tesla. But I don't think anybody's gotten below two. <laughs> Um, all right. Uh, last one here uh, is on Lucid Motors that had their, their second recall here. Uh, looks like of all their vehicles, and this is why the recall is a bit interesting, really, is because it's for a uh, 1,100 car. And I think uh, Scooter looked into it this week and uh, he said that they had 485 vehicles uh, confirmed delivered as of the end of Q1. Of course, that was a few months ago, and production has been ramping up. So it sounds like they they had uh, about more than twice that uh, delivered since. So this is good news on the ramp up side of things. But of course, you you don't really want to recall. 
it's not that big of a deal. The recall is related to uh, the infotainment system. I think they have uh, the screen, yeah, the display. There's a connection that might have been uh, the, the rubber. The harness can become damaged by rubbing against another part of the vehicle and disable the display. So they're going to have to bring those cars back. And it's not a software update, unfortunately. You have to physically bring the car back and fix the harness. Not that big of a deal, but for a smaller company, when you're starting out right now, bringing all those cars back to the limited amount of service centers that you have already, it's, this this is not it's not an easy task. And you don't want too many of them because at some point it can be an issue for a startup. We remember what happened to Fisker. Had a few recalls that were very painful. Yeah. Uh, a few other startup like that. It's just uh, it, it, it's an issue. I'm not saying it's going to be a big issue right now for, for Lucid, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on because if there's too many of them, it's uh, it's done. So it's done. So I haven't had a chance to uh, test the, the the air yet. Uh, no scooter had the. Next time that they have uh, something, I'll, I'd love to give it a try. Because yeah, I, haven't, I actually haven't either. Yeah, I've seen one. I just haven't driven one. We heard good things. We heard good things from Woz this week. Uh, yeah. Steve Wozniak, the Apple co-founder, co-founder of Apple. Steve Wozniak is a former Bolt, Chevy Bolt owner. Uh, Tesla then owner, te- Steve. Yeah. yeah, he bought a Tesla after that. And uh, he's been active in our comments section uh, about the Lucid, which he got a week ago. And uh, we're hoping to get an interview with him in the coming weeks. It be super cool. Yeah. Yeah, obviously the guy is uh, very knowledgeable about technology trends and, and whatnot, and he, he and he's been following the EV space uh, closely for a long time. I remember reporting on his comments about the Bolt and then the, the Tesla, and then comparing them, comparing the two. Um, some controversial comments comparing the two, like he was. Uh, yeah, but they were he, legitimate. Yeah, they were legitimate. Like he did like the. Uh, I don't know. I think ultimately like the Tesla more because I think he was still still, he was long still driving. Yeah, yeah, he was still driving his Tesla for until until getting it until getting the the air. I don't know how I feel about that name, the air. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We do. Should we get the comments? Yeah. Sure. Um, I was just thinking the air. Isn't one of the Kia EV sixes like the air edition or something? Oh, I don't know. All right. I'm uh, seeing I'm seeing quite a few uh, EV six now deliveries. Yeah, we've got one in our town too. Yeah. All right. Arthur K. Load says, but will self-driving exit beta testing within a hundred years? <laughs> yeah. All right. We got a little, yeah. a little jokey joke. Yeah. All right. I don't know. Uh, this is at four minutes in. So what we were talking about at four minutes, probably uh, the Tesla battery research group. Yeah. Newspaper. It's still a battery probably. All right. I don't know. What specifically, though? That was a LinkedIn mm-hmm. user, Carrie Davis. All right, Rich Tier says, question, when do you think Tesla will make the CCS1 adapter that they, they're currently selling in South Korea available to buy in North America for those of us who don't want to order it from there? Yeah, that's been a mystery for a long time. I mean, when Tesla launched it last year, they said it's coming directly from Tesla. We don't get a lot of direct communication from Tesla uh, since they uh, dissolved the PR department, but they took the time in the Korean communication to say, because they knew that people were paying attention, that uh, it is coming to North America soon. So, uh, so for, for them, soon is um, like, what, more than six months at this point? Yeah. So 
So it's not, it's not, we don't, we don't know why, because it doesn't look to be uh, a supply issue. Well, I mean, once they open up to North America, the demand is going to be likely quite big. So yes, it could be a supply issue, but it doesn't seem to be limited right now in uh, Korea because I, I think you can order one pretty fast and, and then plenty of people from outside of Korea has been ordering it. So, and still getting, like, we talked about it before, but they deliver it to a Korean address that then there's, there's a service that can ship it to um, anywhere after that. So a lot of people have been doing that. So and and it's been pretty quick. So it's not like there's a big back order on it right now. I'm sure that this is assuming that oh, okay, if they open it up to North America and like twenty, forty thousand people order it at once, uh, they cannot supply that. That wouldn't be too surprising. Um, but yeah, uh, the sooner the better, really. I, I would assume that Tesla does it before they open the supercharger network to non EV, uh, non Tesla EV owners in North America, because like then. Then the, the the proposition, the charging proposition, becomes better for uh, non-Tesla EV owners because of Tesla rather than their own EV owners. Because now non-Tesla EV owners have access to both Tesla chargers and non-Tesla chargers, while Tesla owners only have access to Tesla charger and non non-Tesla chargers. So it makes more sense. So I think they're gonna release the adapter before they uh, they do the um, maybe maybe even the maybe they want to. Uh, have deals to produce the adapter uh, at those charging stations. This is not someone reached out to me about that this week, and and they they were frustrated that uh, apparently Hydro um, Quebec here in Quebec they operates the circuit electric, which is a pretty significant charging network here, and apparently they've been reaching out to Tesla, asking them to su- supply uh, Tesla connectors so that they can add them to their uh, their charging stations which would be like why not like all right like this is this gonna have a charging option to for our, our owner and you guys are paying for it so it's it's a win-win but tesla apparently has been reticent to do that um which is kind of kind of strange uh, but because because they, they are not completely it's not out of the question for tesla to sell to do that to do that that scheme because they, they've done it with evigo uh a year or two ago and I think now 600 or so, uh, if you go charging station, have Tesla connectors. Uh, so maybe that's one of the plans. Maybe they want to have enough connectors, enough adapters, uh, ad- because you can also like have a scheme to install the adapter with like a chain or whatever at those charging station, and any Tesla uh, owner can use them. They, they want that because they know that like something like 70% of electric cars in North America are Tesla vehicles. So it, it opens up a big market for them. Uh, but it, sound, it looks like Tesla is just not ready for it. Uh, we've been hearing things about Tesla starting to move to open up the supercharger in, in the U.S. by the end of uh, this year. So I would think that the, that would mean that also the CCS adapter would come by the end of this year. Of course, if they want some of that Biden money, yep. they have to do it. Yep, that Biden money. All right, uh, moving on. Jimmy Stack says, the regen braking stopped working on our Model Y after a few weeks when new. It was very scary driving with no regen. It had stopped because the wheel alignment was so far off. Hmm. I haven't heard of that one before. Yeah, it does make sense, though. If your wing alignment is off, it, it could be dangerous to have regen. Uh, right. Well, it could be dangerous to just drive, really, but uh, regen specifically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Interesting. So if your regen goes off, maybe check your wheel alignment. All right. Uh, this is an important one. According to you, which will come first, fully auton- autonomous level five driving or 
le retour des Nordiques, which is the hockey team that was based in Quebec City to, to, to come back. I mean, I've been baffled that they haven't been back. So, uh, I, I, did you watch the uh, Calgary Edmonton game last night? I watched the um, the replays of the highlights. Uh, it was crazy. Like yeah. in four minutes, there was like ten goals. It was it was yeah, yeah, the yeah, craziest yeah, was, like five minutes ever. Yeah, I mean the whole series has been has been pretty entertaining. Um, but yeah, <laughs> well, okay, that's a good question. Um, well, I don't know. It depends on your definition of level five because level five is normally is like in all terrain, all conditions, and, and everything. Um, if you have a geofence system. Then is is and you can operate completely under all condition within that geofence area. Is that level five? Because if it's that level five, I think level five is might already be here, or it's going to be not Tesla, obviously. Like uh, unless the question is about Tesla specifically, but it's not. It's not mentioned. Uh, whether Tesla achieve full autonomous level five, <laughs> I I don't know. I mean. It depends on Batman, really, at this point, because right. Batman is the commissioner of the NHL, and he doesn't seem to want uh, an expansion for the Nordic to come back. So I don't know. Um, I, the way I see it, Tesla is so far from level five and maybe won't achieve level five until years to come. Because I, I think really the description is better for Tesla for level four with, with their approach that they have, with the hardware that they have on the car. I don't think they can beat level. I mean, right right now, I have supposedly have all the hardware necessary for level five full autonomous driving. And even just using autopilot, I get alerts that, oh, the, the weather is not good enough to use it. The, the, there's there's one camera that's uh, has a, a drop of the water on it. And I cannot use it like this. Is that level five? I don't, uh, I don't think so. All right. Moving on. Spike forty three says, "Question: Have you been watching Monroe, Sandy Monroe, Rivian teardown? I'm still surprised about efficiency in R one T versus F one fifty and the weight." So I know that Sandy had uh, gotten his hands on a Rivian, and I know he was driving it. I didn't know he was tearing it down. Yeah, I mean, you do. I haven't been watching that, uh, but I'm I'm on his YouTube channel now, and I see that tear down kickoff but then he goes into the interior then model y then frunk removal so what's the question oh efficiency in r1t so yeah that's kind of interesting the r1t weighs it's smaller than the f-150 but it weighs more and uh they have very similar ranges like you know 320 miles 315 miles whatever uh so it, it is interesting the, the comparison between the two. We'll have to check out Sandy's video. The Rivian is also a more feature-packed, premium right. vehicle with an extensive interior, while the Ford and 150. Uh, I'm sure that the weight, there could be a, diff- a significant weight difference between like the, the base version and then the platinum version, which is the uh, the interior yeah. features and whatnot. Um, maybe, maybe a few hundred pounds right there. Yeah, and, and also the Rivian's motors are going to be bigger because there's four of them and it goes zero to 60 in like uh, three seconds versus 4.5 seconds for the F-150. So stuff like that. I think there's like more complex suspension as well. We'll have to check it out. All right, Arthur K. Lode from Facebook. Does the F-150 still qualify for federal tax credit? And if so, how much longer? 
Uh, I think so, yeah. I don't, yeah. Uh, Ford hasn't hit the, the number just yet, but they're probably pretty close to uh, with the Mustang Mackey for now, a year over a year of deliveries. Uh, and I mean, the, the 40,000 deliveries this year for the F-150, that's that's probably going to be all in the U.S. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they hit it this year. But even if they hit it this year, there's, there's still a significant phase-out period, uh, six months for the full one. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if until like early or mid next year, you still get uh, the full tax credit for it. All right. Uh, Far Follow Mew asks, uh, if overnight EVs replaced ICE vehicles, how would societies address the immense charging bottleneck? Millions of level two chargers sprinkled in parking lots everywhere, much more level three. Uh, well, I'll take a stab at this. Uh, most people uh, in the U.S. anyway have home charging or you know can have home charging, even if it was just plugging into a 110 outlet and getting 60 miles. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the charging, the, the amount of electricity used at night is way less than the amount used in the daytime. And at night is when a lot of people charge, mostly because of incentives. But um, my understanding is like the grid doesn't need a ton of updates to uh, to mo- move to 100% EV charging. Now, obviously, people in apartment buildings, people in the city... Uh, people with street parking, uh, we got to figure out what to do with them. Um, there are some, uh, you know, like lamppost type charging situations. And then there's obviously level three, uh, DC fast charging, which kind of are like gas stations. Uh, they're better than gas stations in that they don't need an attendant and they can be put in parking lots with, you know, outside of a Walmart, like Electrify America often does, but they're not as good as gas stations in that. Uh, the charging time is, you know, much more than the five minutes it takes to fill up a gas tank. So wouldn't be easy and it won't be easy over the next few years, but definitely going to happen. I think the, the way to, to see it is that it's it, it, it's it's a challenge. And like you said, it's not going to be easy. There, there's definitely things to be done, but it's such an easier problem than uh, was expanding the supply, the infrastructure network for uh, gasoline, like so much easier. <laughs> like the, uh, of course, I, I wasn't there. Even Seth, I'm not sure. Were you there when they started expanding the gas station? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, the uh, you, you, you take take away just the, uh, the the whole process of like taking the crude oil, like refining it and everything, and, and then distributing it. Like just the, the, the gas station to it, it's all about options, really. Like if you have a gasoline powered vehicle, diesel powered vehicle, any fossil fuel powered vehicle, you have to go to a gas station to get your gas, and then that will last you a certain amount of time, and then you have to go back to a gas station. So you need to have a gas station available, and that's why there are hundreds of thousands of gas stations everywhere. Now with an electric vehicle, the best thing is they're limited, but you have options. You have home charging, whether it's level one, level two. Level three, if you're a baller, um, but <laughs> I don't know. Do we know anyone who has a level three at home? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't, I don't know anyone. I mean, mind. if somebody lives at a supercharger, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I could technically get one at my new home because I have a 600 volt entry wow. in my house. So like, maybe, maybe I'm going to be the first one, first to have home residential fast charging. Okay. Anyway, you have options, and you ask any EV owner 
on the, on the other than some extreme situation, most of their charging is done at, at home. Uh, so like the the person said like level three, uh, much, much more level three, much, much more level threes. Yes, more level trees for sure, but not that much. This is is still level trees will always be uh, a small uh, a small minority of the overall charging of a chip. Small minority, um, and of course we're just talking like the way we see a system. But there's actually already be, been some studies about this about what happened once the whole fleet is electric. What's the effect on the grid? And for the most part, people see it as a as a as a plus for the grid because this is a contribble a, a large load but it is it is for the most part controllable like you can you, you have some flexibility on when you charge an electric vehicle which is why like Seth said most of them charge at night like that this is the best place to charge it so you, you the 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 utilities are gonna evolve and it's already the case but even more so to to incentivize charging overnight uh where it's gonna be more predictable where where the demand is more stable rather than contributing to already expensive peak demand. Of course, you're still going to have occasion where you're going to have to charge your vehicle within peak demand, but for, it's going to be such a small percentage of the fleet that it's got, not going to get affected that much. So, yes, energy generation has to increase tremendously uh, with the transition to the electric vehicle. There's, there's no doubt about that. But it's going to be somewhat uh, gradual, much because of the limitation of converting the free to electric on the production sides of things. So this is not too uh, too much of a problem like that. But yeah, there's going to have to be solution to uh, like just parking lots, much more parking lots are going to have way more parking space with level two chargings for whatever occasion that is, uh, whether it, uh, and, uh, apartment dwelling people, uh, or uh, people that uh, like just maybe it's going to start making more sense to like, all right, let's grab a, a charge just for a few hours somewhere and leave the car there, like whatever reason. Uh, but level three charging, yes. But again, level three charging, gonna be, it's always going to be mostly for people for long distance travel between uh, large uh, centers and for in within large centers for people that again are live in the apartment and it, it would make sense for them to uh, uh to to just go to supercharger for an hour so for example a week uh, other than uh, um, leaving the car somewhere for like a whole day charging but it's all very it's all solution it, it's all problems that we know the solution we just need to do it and happens that doing it is big business so people are already doing it a lot of companies are already working on it all right. Uh, <clears throat> it's a question I get a lot, by the way. Uh, yeah. You know, well, how is the grid going to hold up? You know, it, it'll get there. Mm-hmm. All right. Rather be surfing. Ask question is EM, that's Elon Musk, rope-a-doping the big boys. How did Rivian and Ford both beat Tesla to market with a truck? You know, it's an interesting uh, thought. Uh, I think Elon or Tesla or whatever rope-a-doped uh, Chevy, when they came out with the Bolt, I know uh, you know they were they were talking about the thirty five thousand dollar price, um, and they were trying to get it out in two thousand sixteen. So GM built the Bolt and sold it for a similar price, and then Tesla never came out, or they barely came out with a thirty five thousand mm-hmm. dollar car ever, and they were selling a fifty thousand dollar 
Tesla, which had, you know had a lot more features than the Bolt. And are they doing the same thing at this point? Like, did they did they get Ford to sell a thirty nine thousand dollar F one fifty that because you know the, the Cybertruck starts at forty thousand? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know if that's yeah, man. The the way I see it, like did did Rivian and Ford beat Tesla to market with a truck? Like I don't know how did did like how did it's like Tesla let it happen? Tesla yeah. Tesla saw that Tesla realized like how much demand there is for the Model Three and the Model Y. Like so they realized that is like our our role is to accelerate the G vehicle uh, adoption. So how can we do are we gonna do that faster by making a whole new vehicle program for the ground up and ramp it up, ramp production up of it, which we know is extremely difficult. Or we already have two extremely successful vehicle program that have a ton of untapped demand right now that is, there's still plenty of room to grow. It's going to be a lot easier to just take those programs from 100,000 vehicles a year to half a million vehicles a year each. And, uh, and and do that instead. And that's going to contribute to the mission a lot more, contribute financially a lot more too. going to be a lot easier to do financially than, than uh, start the Cybertruck program. So they did that instead. And also there's just, I don't think there's like some people would have more of a worry of like, yeah, but we're leaving the pickup truck market behind. And like, like, like we said early on when we discussed the Ford and 150 deliveries with the amount of demand there's around electric pickup trucks right now, I think, and it's just growing. By the time the Cybertrucks comes to market, even if uh, Ford has a hundred thousand truck delivered ahead of of Tesla, uh, Tesla's going to sell everything they can make for the foreseeable future. So there's there's just there's nothing to lose for them there. Yeah. They just they are just more to win with the Model Three Model Y program. Yep. Yeah. All right, John Akechagayas. Says Thailand is a good move for Tesla as Thailand has a free trade agreement with China. What would that mean? Uh, Tesla can just ship the cars from China to Thailand without any import fees. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if being an American company, they have to mm-hmm. do anything different or whatever. Mm-hmm. But right. yeah, I did assume that the cars would be coming from Shanghai. Yeah. yeah. All right, uh, rather be surfing question. Wh- who would sell more full electric trucks in 2023? Tesla, GM, Rivian, or Ford? I would probably put my money on Ford. Yeah, 100% Ford. There's no there's no doubt about my mind. Even if Tesla managed to bring the Cybertruck to production in early 2023, uh, there's no way they ramp that up. Unless, like, there's, uh, unless. Tesla pulls like a rabbit out of the hat and, and the cyber truck is like um, order of magnitude to use Elon's term, an order of magnitude easier to manufacture than previous vehicle. Uh, then yeah, maybe they ramp up to a hundred thousand uh, to, to, uh, to beat Ford. Uh, they would, if, if, if we are to believe Ford's plan, they're going to deliver 150,000 next year for Tesla to go from zero cyber truck in early 2023. To one hundred fifty thousand by the end of the year, I can I just cannot see that happening. I would be 
I would be glad, pleasantly surprised if they do, though. That would be incredible, yeah. but I really doubt it. And GM, GM, when do they start the? Well, I mean, they have the Hummer, but like that's that's extremely low volume. Yeah, Hummer's uh, when, low volume, and twenty twenty three, mid twenty twenty three is when. Mid, yeah, so that's that's too late for them to ramp ramp up. Right. Then Rivian is gonna probably do pretty good next year, but not not one hundred fifty thousand nope. vehicle. Like if all goes well, they're probably gonna deliver. Uh, 50 75 on the top end uh, i would say and that's that that would be good in my opinion for rivian that would be good growth that would be from 25 to 50 that's double if it's 75 it's triple it's like awesome uh, and was there no one was not lord lord <laughs> got an email set <laughs> got an email yesterday said where when i i uh, reported on the f-150 deliveries i mentioned that oh this next year is going to be more exciting on the pickup truck because yeah ford and rivian is going to have to compete with tesla and gm like this guy mentioned tesla gm rivian ford that's the ford that i mentioned and i didn't mention lordstown because first of all i didn't even think of lordstown <laughs> when i wrote it and also, just because, like, it's still, I'm, I'm not thinking against Lordstown, but there's still a lot of questions up in the air whether they can deliver a viable product. And uh, the, the guy accused me of being paid by Ford for omitting to uh, to have Lordstown. So I wrote him back. I'm like, oh, you're, you're accusing me of being paid by Ford for this with no proof whatsoever. Yet you send me this email promoting Lordstown. Uh, would you mind disclosing if you happen to be invested into uh, be a shareholder in Lordstown? And sure enough, he, he's an investor in Lordstown, and he was like, "There's no doubt that they're going to deliver their truck this year." Uh, I mean, maybe they're going to deliver a few trucks this year, but I, what, what I, I think they, they are aiming for like 500 by the end of this year. Like this is this is like this is nothing. Like, yeah, and, and he's probably stressed out being it. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the thing. That could go yeah. to zero pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, I would, if Lordstown deliver any truck this year, I would be pleasantly surprised. And uh, I would be shocked if they deliver more than like 2,000 trucks next year. All right. Uh, moving on. Dan Oberst says uh, Doesn't Ford give their F 150 range estimate at max payload? Does Rivian? If not, there's the difference. Well, that's a good point, Dan. Uh, I don't think they do the max payload. I think they do like with a uh, thousand pound of payload, something like that. Something like if that. I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah, I don't think that's max payload. Uh, Rivian, though, like, oh, that's a good question. I don't. May, may, Rivian may maybe not do any payload. I don't think they do payload. Oh uh, well, that's that's a good point. That's definitely something that we have to keep in mind when we compare the range of those. All right. Uh, Bob in 3773 asked, there should be some standard development done on the roads itself while electrifying them to ensure the autonomy and safety of the cars, both achievements on cars and on the roads. Is he hmm. talking about uh, like embedded into the roads, like some induction charging within the roads? Yeah, I don't know. I guess electrifying the roads would be that. I don't know. Like done on the roads itself within while electrifying them. Yeah, I mean, if he's talking about that, I, I just, I just don't, don't think that's ever gonna have, never, ever gonna be a part, a significant part, or maybe even any part at all of of the charging infrastructure. Just because, look at how hard it is to maintain the roads right now, made of asphalt or, or concrete or whatever your road is made of super hard to maintain now if you're adding electronics in there and all that stuff and then you take into account that induction charging is not the most efficient way of charging and you already need to expand the energy generation to support the growing av fleet 
And now you're going to add more to that by making charging less efficient. It's just they're not great ideas, in my opinion. Yeah. All right. So uh, you may not be the first person uh, with a supercharger at your house, according to Rather Be Surfing. Elon has a supercharger at his house. Which is weird because I didn't think Elon even had a house at this point. Yeah, it's fifty thousand dollar house. That would that would mean that the 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 supercharger is more valuable than a house of the house itself. <laughs> yeah, and it got more electricity going in than like yeah. a, a Costco. Uh, that would be weird. All right, uh, that guy was talking about. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Last question. Rather be surfing back again with the question: When will we see a rolling model? Uh, with 4680 cells. This is the new cells being used in uh, Texas, theoretically. There's some hang up there. Has to be. Tesla is hiding this from us. This is why Cybertruck, Semi, and Roadster are all still vaporware. Hmm. Well, I mean, I'm confused unless he doesn't know, but the model Ys that are being delivered out of Gigafactory Texas have 4680s right now. So there is a rolling model or working model. There's working and delivered vehicle to customers with the 4680 cells. So I don't think, um, I don't think that's a problem right now. Uh, obviously they need to ramp up production. So yes, it, that might explain why Cybertruck also is coming later because we, we think that the 4680 cells are required to make the Cybertruck and you need a lot of them to make even just a decent amount of Cybertruck. So maybe that has to do with it. But um, yeah, no, there there is already forty six eighty cell vehicles on the road being driven. Yep. All right, we got one last question. When are we going to see Neos sold in the U.S.? Well, I think uh, I don't know if his scooter posted it already, but yeah. there's a rumor coming out that uh, yeah, that's actually the latest article on the on the website. There's a rumor coming out that uh, Neo is recruiting right now for. Uh, U.S. Uh, for for manufacturing position in the U.S., so that would mean that they would be manufacturing vehicles in the U.S. Uh, and uh, not too surprised that that's what they're waiting for, really, to uh, to enter the U.S. market because uh, it's not the easiest thing in the world to uh, import Chinese-made vehicles to uh, North America. So maybe they want to do that instead. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm really, I'm encouraged by that. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see that. Like, Neo is is one of the most interesting uh, EV startup, like post Tesla era, really. And um, they have some uh, very good product in, in China that uh, I think would work in the US too. So let's see, let's see how it goes. Yep, and they always had global ambitions. I remember when they first started, like they they called themselves like a oh we are a U.S. and China based company. Of course, they um uh, they, they downsized a lot in the U.S. To, uh, to focus on China, which was a good move in my opinion. And uh, and but now they uh, now that they are more solid in 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 China, they they are coming to the U.S. I'm excited for it. All right. Well, that's uh, that's it for this week's episode. Even though there wasn't too many news, uh, you guys uh, you guys saved the show with a lot of questions, and uh, we were able to uh, to do a full hours. I appreciate it a lot. Everyone's been listening. If you're still listening right now, you're you're a real one. You're a true EV electric fan. Appreciate it. If you did like the show, please give us a thumbs up, a like, or whatever it is on your app. Uh, and the algorithm loves it, and uh, it's free to do so. Please do it. And if you're listening to us through a podcast app, if you can give us a five star review real quick. That helps the show more than you think, and we appreciate it every time. So that's it for us this week. Be safe out there. Have a good one.